This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. And if you want to stay up to date on future episodes, events, and new resources, you can sign up for a newsletter at MeaningfulSport.com. In today's episode, we will explore how the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche can help us understand sporting phenomena and the meaning and value of sport in human life. I am very excited to have such a great guest in today's episode, who has written extensively on Nietzsche and sport, and is also the author of the book Emotion in Sport, Philosophical Perspectives. Our guest teaches philosophy at the New School, New York, and in New York University's Liberal Studies program. He is a member of the International Association for the Philosophy of Sport, and is co-founder of the Nietzsche Circle, and a member of the editorial board of its journal, The Agonist. And how I got to know our guest is through participating in a trip he organized to the Nietzsche House, which is located in Sils Maria in Switzerland. The trip was organized through Philomobile, which is a special travel organization founded by our guest, offering trips to those interested in combining the study of philosophy and culture with traveling. So welcome, Professor Yunus Tunsel. Thank you. Thank you very much for the good introduction. Thank you, Nora. It's it's really an honor to have you as a guest today. And I have to say that my own interest and understanding of Nietzsche, it really took a big step in the Philomobile trip to Sils Maria that you organized. Just to kind of give the background, so we spent a week in a small group in the Nietzsche house, studying Nietzsche and doing some hikes in the areas where Nietzsche used to hike himself in between his writing. And that was such a much more engaging way to learn about Nietzsche than participating in a conference and listening to presentations, for example. So maybe as a start, I think the listeners would be interested in Philomobile. Uh, so maybe tell us a little bit about what you do and what kind of future trips you have planned. And I guess that the COVID crisis has had an impact on that too. Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, well, the, the project started about 15 years ago. So I brought two passions together, philosophy and traveling. And uh, we, I said it would be great to study these philosophers and places where they lived. Uh, so... Um, you know, I, I'm not a professional organization, as you know, a very small organization. I work with other teachers, 
uh, and we uh, bring, uh, you know, we prepare a trip and then do it if we have enough people to do it. So uh, we first did it in 2010. In fact, it was a Nietzsche trip, not at just one location, but we did a long trip from uh, Nietzsche's uh, hometown, if he had a hometown, Naumburg, the Leipzig region, all the way, <coughs> all the way down to Italy. And then after that, I did, I did several trips. So yeah, the idea is actually the way you put it, you know, instead of just sitting and listening to papers, which we always do in academia, I think this is a more exciting, stimulating way to engage with ideas, you know, to meet people. Uh, we met a lot of people on the Nietzsche trip that we did, a lot of Nietzsche scholars. Uh, we had dialogues with them. Uh, we also go to museums and uh, houses and things like that. So it was very, very exciting. And also ours too. Ours was a different kind, but more like a retreat in one place, which is also very stimulating to be in the Alps <clears throat> where Nietzsche did hiking. Uh, yeah, so then, all right, uh, I we did we did have plans for this year. <clears throat> uh, actually, I was I worked with psychoanalysts. We had a, a trip planned for Freud, one trip analysis from Jung, uh, but uh, unfortunately, everything had to be canceled. <clears throat> I was not going to lead them because, you know, typically uh, people who are um, experts in their fields uh, become the main lecturer. But then I also studied ancient Greece <clears throat> and I was going to lead a trip to Ionia, ancient Ionia, uh, that is also canceled or postponed. So all travelings are on hold. They're all canceled or postponed as of March. Uh, so, yeah, I hope to do more. Uh, if people are interested and they, uh, depending on the groups we find, uh, you know, take them to their places. And um, yeah, so uh, that's the main. We, we have a website, philomobile.com. Uh, those who like to visit and send me a note, uh, I can respond. Yeah, thanks. And I, I really have to say that hiking the same paths that I can imagine Nietzsche hiking and we saw the restaurant where he used to go to eat and right. and seeing the room where he used to sleep. So that really gives you a very different experience from from just listening to papers, yeah. just like you yeah, said. Yeah, so yeah. it's something, yeah, I can also highly recommend that. Yes. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And all the debates we had yeah. about Nietzsche and sport. Yes. So you said that in the trips you have typically people who are experts in in that topic so i think for us it would be quite interesting to hear why did you pick nietzsche as as the philosopher that you have focused what what is in nietzsche's philosophy that attracts you uh, personally oh that's well that's a big question um right, i can get into a little bit more biographic information if you like in my college years uh, I was a little bit uh, left-oriented, a little bit, uh, you know, youthful idealist, uh, and I was also very much into sciences, technology. Then I became disillusioned and started reading philosophy. And uh, when I read uh, Nietzsche's philosophy, of course, a lot of philosophers had an impact on me, but uh, Nietzsche had a uh, drastic impact because of his culture critique. You know, all the things that he, he was saying made sense. I said, I could have said this, but the, the thing is, he had written some 100 years before me. So, um, yeah, it was like an amazing kind of an experience reading all the things that is critique of, um, you know, religion, the, the belief in absolute truths, his perspectivism, even his ideas on Dionysian, you know, the investing in the human character uh, rather than following some ideologies blindly. 
so yeah, the, all of those things just uh, and just the impact. And I, I, I mean, it's been many years now. <laughs> I'm still reading Nietzsche and writing. Of course, I do read other philosophers, and in fact, I have worked on. I've done quite a work on French, you know, 20th century French philosophers as well. Uh, but still read uh, Nietzsche and he just uh, the wealth of ideas. Even like on, we'll talk about that later, but even Nietzsche has a lot to say on sports. And uh, to my best knowledge, there's not a single book on Nietzsche and sports yet, as far as I know. I may be wrong. There's so many books now, but I haven't seen that. So, but it's not only that. I mean, uh, scholars are writing on Nietzsche on naturalism, Nietzsche's critical of religion. You know, he has a lot of ideas on culture, on culture making, uh, and uh, that's why he has a kind of broad appeal to different kinds of readers. You know, you have psychoanalysts reading Nietzsche. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, amazing, he published an amazing book. His name is Jerry Russell, um, Nietzsche and the Clinic. Uh, you have, uh, I don't know, strictly people doing philosophy, epistemology that deals with knowledge. You know how knowledge is possible. Nietzsche's ideas of perspectivism—that you know uh, there are no facts, uh, only interpretations, and multiple interpretations. Uh, I can't go on the list. I mean, uh, I'm working on a book on uh, human emotions right now, and Nietzsche also has lots of ideas on that topic. And I again, there is there is one book that was published a long time ago, uh, but it is he has so many ideas, and you know, there's not a single. A book that came out in the last I don't know 50 years uh, so hopefully I will uh, make an interesting case on uh, Nietzsche's teachings on feelings and emotions so yeah mm -hmm. it's the wealth of ideas um, and very thought-provoking uh, you have to be a little bit not a, you have to be a strong reader you know uh, not and face uh, some of Nietzsche's harsh criticism of uh, human existence human culture and, and not shy shy away. So, uh, and we don't have to agree with everything he says. I don't. I mean, it, uh, I do have disagreements as well. But still, you know, he provokes the reader to to keep reading and uh, face these uh, sort of honest whatever insights conclusions about human human existence. And like you said, Nietzsche really has a broad range of ideas and and broad range of topics. But for a non philosopher. The only things that they might be familiar with is just Nietzsche being attributed to declaring that God is dead. And, and the other other thing that kind of uh, links to sport is this saying that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And kind of when you start looking into it a bit more, you will, just like you, you said, there will be a lot of ideas that can be applied to sport and help us understand some phenomena in sport as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot to ask from me to kind of summarize uh, Nietzsche's philosophy, especially with, with this kind of amount of time in, in a few minutes. But maybe you can just give a little overview of what would be kind of the central ideas of Nietzsche's thought that kind of run through his philosophy. And, and why is it worthwhile for somebody who is researching sport and physical activity to start reading Nietzsche? Yeah, okay. Well, uh, Nietzsche's main philosophy is uh, culture, uh, value. So he, he, his background, just you know, uh, he studied philology, uh, Greek classicism, uh, and then uh, he uh, gave himself um, to philosophy. He, he is a self-taught philosopher. He did not study philosophy professionally, and then he started teaching at Basel University in Switzerland, uh, 
today it is in Switzerland, and then uh, start writing books. Um, so basically, many many of his books have to do with uh, culture. But by culture, I mean it could be religion, history, uh, science, philosophy, all those things uh, that make up the guys, the, the culture, right? So uh, connected to that uh, philosophical culture, you could also say value. So yeah, Nietzsche doesn't talk much about value in his early writings. But later on, uh, after the around the time, and he announces the death of God, which is in the gay science, the book Gay Science, fairly Wissenschaft, uh, that's when he also starts talking about value. So basically, yeah, his main philosophy is philosophy of culture and value. According to Nietzsche, a culture or a civilization is uh, made up of values, or what he calls highest values. And in the 19th century, he sees many problems. Uh, being a scholar, of uh, Greek uh, classics, uh, having studied philosophy on his own and uh, being familiar with history and literature. Um, now he can look at back uh, history and the 19th century European culture and he sees many problems. He sees the whole evolution of, uh, let's say, European civilization and he sees problems, uh, what went wrong from his standpoint and why and how things went wrong and uh, what were the ancient ideals uh, Nietzsche upholds the ancient Greeks, especially the tragic Greeks uh, prior to the rise of Socratic rationalism. Historically, that would be 800 to roughly 450 BC. And then, he, so based on his uh, training knowledge of that part of ancient Greece, he critiques uh, the European culture of the 19th century. He is heavily critical of Christianity. Uh, the, uh, uh, he comes from a Lutheran background. Uh, he knows the Bible very well. I mean, he's not sort of attacking, critiquing religion or Christianity uh, based on some not non knowledge. I mean, he knows he knows the, the Bible very well. He was brought up in Lutheran in Lutheran tradition, and uh, he's also critical of Christianity. And then then he announced the death of God. Um, uh, by the way, that the death of God is not just a religious issue. I mean, it's all about the culture. It's uh, epic making. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's all about the civilization, really. Uh, it's not just about religion. Yes, religion included, but the way God for Nietzsche stands for many different values, including uh, the repression of the body. And that's going to be important for us. Uh, denial of the body that he sees in Christianity, but also in other religions. You also have that. And uh, now, why? Uh, what would sport sports people take from Nietzsche? Uh, Nietzsche is one of the first thinkers. Um, I don't want to say the first. I, uh, there are maybe several other uh, thinkers in the nineteenth century, but the really first major thinker to understand the body, to return to the human body, and to see its role in culture. Uh, he sees that the body has been. Uh, put down or repressed uh, rep repression okay that's a psychoanalytic term uh, you may not find it that often in Nietzsche's writings but uh, the denial the, 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 this, this uh, contempt for the body in fact in Das Spok Zarathustra uh, there's a phrase despises of the body so whatever term you use uh, basically uh, the, the human body has been denied and now we have to understand and the body is to him very crucial I mean he's not saying we are, we are only bodies but but the body uh, is very crucial, and we haven't understood it. We completely neglected it. Now the question is, uh, how can we come back? How can we return to the body, bring it back to culture? And of course, sport as a physical exercise is one fundamental area. 
uh, and uh, pretty much uh, since the nineteenth century, so I would say beginning of uh, sport culture uh, in Europe. So you have you know uh, if, if, if like uh, things like soccer or football uh, start in the nineteenth century, even other sports and they, they become uh, more and more a part of the culture. Uh, and uh, today, I guess uh, many people. Uh, experience uh, sport in one way or another either play a sport or uh, watch uh, sports so uh, yeah uh, anyway we'll talk about Nichan sports maybe in detail later but that's what I could say so basically we need to look into uh, Nietzsche's ideas on the body uh, you would find them all throughout his writings but maybe more significantly uh, after the gay signs uh, specifically on the, the topic of denial of the body and uh, what it means. But even prior to the gay signs in his early writings, uh, The Birth of Tragedy, uh, you can still uh, elicit ideas. You can withdraw ideas from Nietzsche's writings on the body, especially the Dionysian. Dionysian is also a physical experience. Uh, but anyway, so I'll maybe stop here. But if you have more questions on anything that I need to reflect on uh, at a deeper level, uh, let me know. Wonderful. You already gave gave a really nice overview of, of different ideas and you kind of looked into kind of the later works and also mentioned the early work as well. So maybe we'll just start a little bit from, from the beginning of Nietzsche's works. So you mentioned The Birth of Tragedy. That was his first book that was also heavily critiqued by some and also Nietzsche was later critical of his own work. However, as you mentioned, there are some interesting ideas. You mentioned the Dionysian, so he had this dualism between the Dionysian and the Apollonian forces. Wow. And that's something that you have also written about when you have written about Nietzsche, sport and, and contemporary culture. So maybe we should start exploring from there. So can you explain a little bit about what these forces are and and sure. how do you think they are relevant for understanding sports? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that, okay. yeah. That, that was, as you said, that, uh, no, that was his first published book. Uh, I was a young professor at Basel. Uh, his main thing was to understand uh, the Greek theater, uh, the tragedy. It's a major uh, artwork, total artwork uh, that had a, a big impact on the Greek culture. It has started in 6th century BC, officially 534 BC. And then uh, Nietzsche sees that as a great thing, as a great cultural event. Uh, but then in the 5th century BC, it starts declining. So he's basically looking at both the microcosmos of ancient Greece, which he knows a lot about, but also the, the, the um, macro picture, so the small and the bigger picture. So he's looking at Greek theater, but also trying to understand uh, what's happening in ancient Greece at the time. Now... Uh, he's not the first to have, uh, you know, a perception or a theory of tragedy. There are other philosophers, but he is kind of, he, he has a unique position uh, because he brings these ideas, as you mentioned, Apollonian and Dionysian. And of course, he also sees a rise and a decline in Greek tragedy. Decline is the, with the last playwright, Euripides. Many, many scholars don't agree with Nietzsche's diagnosis, but in any case, uh, he, he has interesting ideas to say uh, basically you have this great artistic force this creative force which is based on myth mythology greek mythology but then later on because of the rise of rationality and socrates uh, sort of symbolizes that rationality uh, this great uh, art form uh, comes to decline comes to end 
and Euripides is the kind of the spoke spokesperson for Socrates in arts in theater. So anyway, that's Nietzsche's thesis. Now, as for the Apollon Dionysian, he introduces these two principles. Let me just briefly explain to our audience what they are. So Apollonian has to do with the principle of individuation. Dionysian is the opposite, the absence of in individuated state, what we may, can call nothingness, right? No being. So Apollonian, individuated being, the Dionysian, there's no individuated, the end, the end of being, the death of being, if you will. So now uh, Nietzsche introduced these two principles. Uh, they are cosmological, metaphysical principles. You can apply them to anything, like any being, right? Every being comes to the being, becomes, and then ends. So then the, the rise, the birth, and individuation of that being can be explained by with Apollonian and the end of being with Dionysian. Now, Nietzsche takes these um, metaphysical or cosmological principles and applies them to theater. So then, for the most part of the book, uh, the pr these principles are used as aesthetic principles, right? Because he's applying them to arts. I, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that thing because our topic is sports, uh, how, you know, they could be applicable. Uh, later on, Nietzsche was critical of uh, these uh, two principles because he thought it was dualistic, and then he would reconcile them, bring them together into one thought. Uh, that's my reading of Eternal Return. So Eternal Return of the same uh, is actually a non-dualistic idea uh, that uh, brings uh, life and death, being and nothingness together in one thought. So that's why the later Nietzsche uh, didn't really like the dualistic structure, the, the dualistic linguistics, so to speak, that he, he used in the birth of tragedy. So now there's only one thought, the eternal return of the same. In fact, he introduces that idea in the gay science. It's the same book where he announces the death of God. Uh, that's uh, aphorism 125. And then he uh, it is the same book later, book four, uh, the numbers, aphorism, I believe, 343 where he presents uh, his idea of eternal return. So now coming back to um, the application of these two principles uh, to sports, right? That was the second part of your question, Nora. We mm -hmm. would, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, look, pretty much you can uh, apply these uh, principles to almost anything. Uh, he did it for arts, uh, but, you know, we can do it for sports. So, uh uh, yes, we are individual uh, beings, so that would be explained by the Apollonian. Uh, by the way, Nietzsche does not deny the Apollonian. Let me, that's a footnote I forgot to say. When people read the birth of tragedy, they think Nietzsche is now promoting only the Dionysian. That's not the case. I think his point is that the Dionysian has been denied, has been repressed so long because of uh, our excessive rationality that we inherited from ancient Greece. And now we need to bring back, we need to understand those Dionysian forces and bring them back. So then we need a balance between the Apollonian and the Dionysian rather than only the Dionysian. So that's just, I just want to add that part so that uh, we have a, uh, a little bit of better, clearer understanding of these two uh, ideas. So in sports, uh, uh, yes, we, we, we are individual uh, and uh, Nietzsche does not deny uh, the role of the individual, uh, we must be, you know, the, the best uh, that we can be. Uh, there is, you know, the idea of great individualism 
uh, in Nietzsche, but then yet we are not only individual people, we, the others exist, coexist with us. So we need to be connected to our environment, to other people, other beings that are around us. That would be the Dionysian. Uh, why, why, how does the Dionysian have to do with others? Well, the Dionysian, one meaning of the Dionysian is ecstasy. Ecstasy, not the drug itself, ecstasis, the Greek word. It means to come out of yourself, to come out of yourself and to be connected to other beings. And of course, the, the, we know the root, the root words of these terms, Apollo, Dionysus, and Dionysus is the, the god of the wine drinking, festivals, parties, but also the orgiastic rites. So he's the, he's the god of ecstasy. In fact, he probably he symbolized ecstasy in the best possible way out of all Greek gods. Uh, Dionysian means yeah, to come out of yourself, to be ecstatic, to be connected to other people, others, uh, in a way what Marleponic calls embodiment probably has a lot to do with also the Dionysian. Uh, embodiment means um, to be we, to be one body with others, like in a team, right? When a team for a team mm -hmm. to succeed, right, they have to be one body almost, although not physically, but rather they have to move together, they have to coordinate. That is what Marley Ponte calls embodiment. He believes that uh, the babies, when they're born, they already have it, but then we later on lose it. Why do we lose it? We become more conscious of ourselves. We, we think too much, we, we analyze and all that, yeah, we could lose embodiment. So uh, basically, to be embodied, we have to be the Dionysian. So uh, Dionysian means to be really connected. So now there are different levels of being connected, and that's where the Dionysian comes in. First, with a team, uh, your own team, but even your own opponents, You although they are your opponents, uh, you are playing a game, uh, you have to be somewhat connected to them as well. And then the bigger picture, you have the audience, the spectators, fans, and all that. So there's a whole big Dionysian community. You know, what is Nietzsche's ultimate point, really, for human beings and cultures to strive for higher goals and states, right? The whole idea over human, right? Now, mm -hmm. you very much. There's so many. But Nietzsche is such a controversial thinker that I'm sure... <laughs> Whatever I say, the next Nietzsche scholar will disagree with me, fine. Uh, as long as I have backing uh, with the text, I can argue and debate. So the overhuman, uh, you know, uh, people are oh, these uh, in the great individuals. Uh, they could do whatever they want. They're, they're detached. Uh, they don't have to care for their society. That is not my reading of overhuman. I think overhuman... Yeah, the, yes, I agree with Nietzsche. There are higher types, but these higher types have also responsibility. They are connected to their community, their society, so they have to elevate them as well. In fact, the more the society is elevated, mm -hmm. the higher these higher types will be. Uh, some Nietzsche scholars would, would disagree with me. They would say, no, they could rise higher and they don't really have to care much about their society. I, I'm not in agreement with that position, and I don't see... Uh, radical individualism in, in Nietzsche. Yes, individualism, great individualism, uh, but, uh, they, but uh, they are connected. These great individuals are uh, connected to, to their culture. So then the, in sports, uh, some athletes become whatever, more elevated, they become star athletes. Um, uh, there's, uh, from a Nietzschean standpoint, uh, there's nothing wrong in you know striving or perfecting yourself, becoming better. 
but there is no, uh, how can I put it? It is not hubristic. I mean, Greeks were also opposed to that. Hubris means excessive pride. Uh, ancient Greeks didn't like it. I don't think Nietzsche likes it either. You know, you could be elevated, but there's not, that doesn't give you any, uh, any right uh, to be arrogant, uh, to be hubristic uh, and dismiss others. Uh, dismiss other people's struggles um, and other people's overcomings uh, to become uh, towards becoming their own higher selves. So in uh, sports, yeah, uh, basically, yeah, we make our own individual beings in sports. We strive and we become better athletes, uh, but yet uh, we must be also connected uh, to our community, uh, to others, uh, to our spectators. Uh, yes, yeah, spectators have had also a role in this whole thing. Um, uh, Nietzsche was very critical of uh, passive spectator, even in the birth of tragedy. But now mm -hmm. there, of course, in an artistic context, in theater, uh, basically spectators are not just, you know, uh, passive beings, but they're very much connected to the stage, uh, to uh, their uh, myth uh, as it is stage performed on stage, uh, the heroes, the fall of the hero, and they, they are kind of one. Yes, they are not hero themselves. Uh, they do uphold the hero, the heroic. They must uphold the Dionysian. Because the, the, the core in, in uh, theater is the chorus that uphold the Dionysian. Right? So the, the music, dance, song are the most Dionysian elements. And through the chorus, the Dionysian is upheld, sustained. And the spectators have to somehow uh, respect or uphold the same Dionysian um, forces in theater. Uh, similarly, we can say in sports, uh, you must uphold uh, the ecstatic, the, the Dionysian community uh, that, is, that is gathered against uh, before a game. A lot of ideas in here. So yeah. you said that. Nietzsche in, in his early work was not uh, writing against the Apollonian, but kind of saying that there needs to be this balance between these two forces. And, right. and his diagnosis was with Socrates that we'd gone too rational and too Apollonian. So what would Nietzsche think about sport as we know it today? Has the balance gone wrong? And if it has, what way? Mm, well, that's, that's a very tough question. The balance, hmm, yeah. Well, okay, first, uh, let me start with something. And initially, would be critical of mass culture, uh, other things. All the things that happen out of context of sport, uh, I think initially would be critical of, I would say, commercialization, the excessive money culture. Yeah, they all the money, they, they, but that's part of our economic system. I think he would be critical of that, although he doesn't write much about uh, you know capitalism and economy. Uh, but he was looking into the the spirit, the the geist, the, the culture itself, the cultural forces. So anything that ruins, that destroys those cultural forces, uh, would be a problem from a, a Nietzschean standpoint. Okay, let, let's you know. I get the league system. Would Nietzsche? I think no. Nietzsche would support the league system. I'm just looking into something in sports today. All right. The league system, mm -hmm. nature would support because, you know, we play at different levels. So it's important that more or less equals play. So that goes with its teaching of competition, agonism. That's the, my book is on that. 
in terms of uh, what else can we say? I already mentioned commercialization. I think it would be very critical of that. Uh, elit- elitism in sports. I hmm, uh, that's another tough one. I mean, uh, it depends on how the elite sports plays itself out. In elite sports, there's also a lot of risk taking in some of the elite sports. I don't think they would be opposed to that. But if elitism uh, sort of denies uh, the newcomers, uh, young athletes, uh, I guess that would be uh, that he may be critical of that uh, because, you know, they're establishing this kind of their hegemony and they, they do not take anyone in. Other uh, other things about elite sports, uh, but risk games, I think Nietzsche would be okay with that. In fact, that has a lot to do with externalization of uh, our uh, destructive instincts, the death drive, uh, you know, some risk sports, we also uh, come close with death. Uh, and I do not think Nietzsche would be opposed to that as long as we are strong and uh, we can handle uh, those kinds of experiences, uh, in fact, the, the phrase that everybody knows, uh, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. So Nietzsche would not be opposed to those kinds of risk-taking or combat sports. Uh, but the elite elite sports, it really depends on how elites uh, play out their role in uh, their exemplary model. I mean, as I said earlier, if they're hubristic, they're arrogant, that, that would be... Arrogant means that they are now the champion, and they think they are champion for life, forever. Uh, this this kind of, and they are the only ones. This type of attitude, uh, yeah, Nietzsche would be very critical of. I think when when talking about elite sport, I would be curious about kind of the balance between the rationalism and and then when you've written also about Nietzsche being uh, very favorable kind of with the ideas about play and how he would celebrate play right. as something that is very spontaneous and and kind of purposeless uh, and somehow useless activity that kind of that is more Dionysian I guess in terms of it's something that you don't think and you don't rationalize so do the elite athletes have any space for that or is mm-hmm. everything planned and everything rationalized uh-huh. oh good oh you, uh, you this is a very good question yeah definitely i mean Nietzsche is definitely for play you know let's talk about different things now you could have a sport culture where these playful forces play spontaneously and all that right in, in general in culture mm-hmm. they don't have to follow any structure uh it's kind of like you know spontaneously going to a dance club and dancing right and uh, we can all play at some capacity but then uh, when it comes to competition formal games we are talking yes we are talking about the apollonian structure so more the apollonian uh, of course sport is always as dionysian elements so when you are talking about formal formalized sport yes there's more apollonian in that but the, the more apollonian should not from a Nietzschean standpoint, would not crush or would not take away the Dionysian forces. So, look, what I'm trying to say is that Dionysian forces can be cultivated, can be or must be cultivated in a kind of, in a more spontaneous forms um, uh, in culture overall, uh, as you put it, and the play, the idea of playfulness. But then they could crystallize, we can give style to them, structure, uh, which would be more Apollonian, 
as we create these formations to play games as a league system or the Olympic Games and all that. So they're more, they're more structured there, more formal. And there's, of course, a pollen element. So the, the question is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, whether we have these uh, Dionysian forces uh, that are cultivated in the culture at the same time, uh, the Apollonian forces and uh, whatever we do in cultivating them, uh, we do not stop. We do not prefer one or the other uh, from a cultural standpoint, overall culture, not just, you know, uh, individually. Uh, I would say, yeah, uh, elite sports um, would fall under more the Apollonian, the more formalized. Um, these uh, elite athletes uh, go through uh, competition. Many, they go through a lot of elimination. And then finally, they come to whatever the top, the top level, and they compete against whatever uh, the more or less equal elite athletes. And the, the, there are obviously more Apollonian structures there. But remember, I mean, we do live in a highly rational uh, culture at the same time. Uh, just take that time. I, I know this probably is a completely different topic, but. Um, you know, we, mm -hmm. time itself is an organizing rational principle, uh, right? We have to, whatever, uh, play at this time, from this time to until that time, everything is measured. Uh, the whole game is structured. As you go back to ancient times, <laughs> there's no there's no clock, there's no timing. In fact, ancient athletes, Greek athletes, uh, played until uh, they were defeated. I mean, in the case of combat games. So... Uh, with the races, mm -hmm. they they did run. Yeah, they did run a length, uh, some length. Uh, the 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 distance was their measure, but th there was no time. They 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 did not measure time. They didn't have any clocks anyway. So now, I mean, that already. So, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, our age is already uh, very rational, uh, and I guess Nisha was trying to show this the, the the excessive rationality that our age uh, brought itself in or into and how possibly we can bring back those spontaneous playful forces exactly what you were saying and play by the way play is a big topic in nature i i have i have a very uh, short section in in my article on niche on sports uh, but uh, it's big it's big in nature i mean i hope somebody writes a book maybe on Nietzsche playfulness. Uh, it is uh, definitely play, yeah, play, playfulness. You know, we, we forget how to play. That's why sport is crucial, right? Kids are uh, playful mm -hmm. um, uh, when they're born, babies, and then we grow older, uh, we become serious. We forget how to become playful, and sport is one way of bringing back i'm sure there are other ways but sport is one way of bringing back the, the playfulness which is very uh primary uh, in uh, in life and i Nietzsche would definitely accept that although he doesn't really speak a lot directly about playfulness but there are many uh, different metaphors about playfulness in, in Nietzsche, uh, not only through sport he talks a lot about dance but he was a musician himself he was a pianist and also he composed on music but he also used a lot of dance symbolism so dance is also a form of playfulness so if we think of Nietzsche and how he was critical of many of the cultural developments do you think Nietzsche would be critical of the development of sport culture I, I think he would um, he would support the development of sport culture 
as long as well as long as the Apollo and Dionysian forces come together, the playful forces, ecstatic forces come also are promoted. Uh, and he would be very critical of mass culture uh, in the sports. Mm. He would, uh, if I may say it, he would focus on the spirit of sport. Now, of course, you could say, you know, what is the spirit of sport? Playing, competing, the physical activity uh, with uh, little or less intervention of rational forces. Yes, there will be a structure. Okay, look at the Greek theater, right? Greek theater, Nietzsche admired. Yes, he critiqued the later part, but it had a structure too. You know, we structure, having a structure, uh, no, we, we are, that we, we have to have it. I mean, I don't think Nietzsche would be opposed to having structures. That, that's the Apollonian part. We need to have them. So uh, we need to create some boundaries, yes. And within those boundaries, then we become playful, we become spontaneous. Yeah, so he would definitely support the sport culture, but he would be critical of excessive rational forces, the mass culture. So the, the, the lowering of standards, you know, Nietzsche always was for higher standards, whether they are aesthetic criteria or other cultural criteria. So we have to always uh, strive for higher goals, higher states. That will apply to sports as well. Uh, there will be exemplary athletes, the elite athletes. Nietzsche would not be opposed to that as long as they have positive influence on their culture as they bring others with them to higher standards as well. Um, so yeah, Nietzsche would not be opposed to that, uh, would not be opposed to sport culture or even elite sports as long as uh, it is played out according to the spirit of sport. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day